morning, everyone. It's great to be with you as we uh, celebrate a new program year on, on Rally Day here. Uh, and we're also uh, today beginning a new series for um, basically the rest of the month. Um, and it's, it's part of our, our bigger Finding Enough series. Uh, it's, it's our second sequence of the series, but each one kind of stands apart. So I know it's a little bit of inside baseball talk, but you're here for week one of this, of this rendition of it, so you haven't missed anything. Um, these are all part of my uh, Doctor of Ministry project, so Ms. Joanne was talking about learning and, and stuff, so, so this is some evidence of, of work I'm, I'm doing as part of my schooling. Um, today we're setting the stage for our conversation today, um, here by rooting ourselves and thinking theologically and biblically about money and possessions and the role they play in our lives and what it means to seek um, an ethic of enough, to live out a way of, of enough in the world. Next Sunday, the sermon will continue this series by extending an invitation to meaningful conversation and dialogue together regarding money, possessions, and an ethic of enough. And following um, service next week, we'll gather in the fellowship hall for this dialogue time together on the topic. And I, I really hope all of you can join me for, for that time because we really do need your voice and your insights. But I also hope this will be a meaningful experience for you and our congregation as a whole as well. This reflection and conversation that we have together will then be brought into the next sermon. So it will really be our shared reflection on the topic together, and I hope it goes without saying anything you say in that dialogue session can and will be used in the sermon the following week. So we begin the sequence with, uh, of, of the series with the longest, but also probably the best known of Jesus' parables, and my personal favorite, the prodigal son. Since it's a long story, I'll be stopping about halfway or, or partway through the story before finishing the parable later in the sermon. Friends, I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 15th chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the 11th verse. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned before heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned before heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, 
Quickly, bring out the robe, the best one, and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost. He was found. They began to celebrate. We'll stop here for now. Friends, I don't know about you, but I am so grateful that football season has begun in earnest uh, here uh, with, with college football starting last week and uh, the NFL starting its regular season today. And because of this, I was reminded of one of our nation's favorite football foods, the buffalo wing. Now, the origin stories of chicken wings are a little murky, but my favorite one goes that the owners of the Anchor Bar in Buffalo, New York, Frank and Teresa Bellissimo, wanted to make a late-night snack for their son and his friends upon their return from college. So they took chicken wings, at the time a very undesirable part of the chicken, mostly used for making stock or sauces, and they deep-fried them and tossed them in a sauce made randomly of cayenne pepper. And just like that, the now favorite game day appetizer was born. It's amazing, isn't it? When people can have a dramatically different understanding about something and its inherent value. Chicken wings, like I said, were once considered a very undesirable part of the bird. Now, I believe I heard a year or two ago, there was actually a shortage on chicken wings because of the vast demand on the product. These things went from being something no one wanted unless they were making a sauce or a stock with it to being highly in demand, highly valuable. In our parable this morning, a similar phenomenon occurs as the young son wants to get his share of his father's inheritance and go start his own life somewhere. We usually gloss over this detail in the story because in our culture it is so common and we even encourage our children to go off to college or to create their own lives and careers, sometimes in a different town. However, in this culture, the younger son's request to receive his father's inheritance while he was still living was akin to considering his father already dead. It was a highly insulting thing to say. Yet this father never ceases to surprise us in the parable as he grants the son's request without any drama or any um, dispute. Now, if you notice, the son asks his father for his share of the property in our, our translation here. Then in the next line, the narrator tells us that his father grants the request and divides his property with his sons. What's interesting here is that these are actually two very different words in the original Greek. The son asks for his share of his father's ousia, his property, or simply his stuff. Give me my share of your stuff. The narrator, on the other hand, jumps in to correct the son, describing his father giving his son not his stuff, not his ousia, but his bios. You science folks might recognize this word, as it's the word from biology, the word for life. It can have a meaning of property as well, as in the things that one needs to live or one's life's work. 
The narrator's correction here shows us that our possessions, for better or worse, play a, a role in our sense of identity. Scholar Luke Johnson writes, Possessions are symbolic expressions of ourselves because we both are and have bodies. Every claim of ownership, therefore, involves ambiguity. We say, this is mine, but we imply as well, this is me. Unfortunately, this is often exaggerated in our culture of more, thinking that we are the cars we drive, we are the homes we live in, we are the amount of money we have in the bank. Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus of The Minimalists call this conflation of possessions a sort of anchor of identity. They say when you're trapped in this kind of identity, it's hard to realize that you are not your job. You are not your stuff. You are not your debt. You're not your paycheck. You are so much more. The father in this parable, friends, shows us that understanding our possessions as bios is a reminder that our things are to be used for giving and sustaining life. Our lives our family, or our household's lives, as well as the lives of those in our community, particularly those in need. The Father here embodies a very different way of relating to our things. Instead of seeing them as simple stuff like the younger son does, or obsessively conflating them with our self-worth, we can see our resources as the very things God has blessed us with to give and to sustain life for ourselves as well as for others. So back to our story. The son asks for his stuff, but his father gives his very life's work to his son. From the outset of the parable, we can already see the son's displaced understanding of the value of money and possessions. So really, it's not that surprising to see what happens next. Soon after, he ventures out on his own, he wastes away his father's bios life's work, and then he comes on hard times as a famine ravages the country he's moved to. His downfall is exaggerated further by hiring himself out to tend the pigs of a Gentile, and at this he has truly hit rock bottom. He realizes that even his father's servants back home had bread enough and to spare. So he resolves to go home, confess to his father, and ask to be one of the servants in the fields. But if you notice, the son's rehearsed confession is never heard, as the father dramatically runs out to welcome him home, embracing him as a son and throwing a lavish feast and a party for him. They go on to have a feast of the fatted calf, and it seems like they'll all live happily ever after now, right? Not so fast. There's a character in the story we haven't met yet, the older brother. The parable continues uh, on verse 25 with his side of the story. Now the elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. 
But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came back who devoured your property, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, maybe it's because I'm the oldest child in my household growing up, but I've always thought the older brother in this story gets a bit of a raw deal. It's amazing the power narrative has on our perspective. How often in film or literature do we find ourselves rooting for a character we otherwise wouldn't have a whole lot of compassion for? Luke is a master of this in storytelling and getting us all to root for the younger son here, who basically considers his father dead, takes his inheritance, goes away, and blows all of his wealth. Yet when he comes back, he's greeted and treated quite literally like a king. You can imagine how his older brother would have felt, right? After all, he never left, never asked for his his father's uh, inheritance, but continued to work by his side. Now his kid brother comes home after squandering his premature inheritance, and dad throws him a party. Do you notice how he describes his younger brother to his father? This is the part that gets me every time. He says, this son of yours. In this phrase, he practically disowns his brother. Yet the father responds just as graciously here with his older son as the younger, saying, everything that is mine is yours, son. We had to celebrate because, get this, this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. This brother of yours. The father reframes his older son's harsh words in terms of relationship. No matter what, he is still your brother, just as he is still my son. When the younger son says he's no longer worthy to be called his father's son, the father tells his servants to bring out the trappings of a prince and to throw a party for him. The father's always reframing things in terms of relationship. I had the opportunity to speak about this this parable with Andy Hill, who hosts the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast. Hill reflects that the two brothers, to him at least, represent opposing extremes regarding money and resources. While the younger brother illustrates a wasteful and reckless use of finances, the older brother opposes represents the opposite extreme of not taking moments to pause and enjoy life. I think Hill is on to something here, friends. And the father speaks to this. He parses through both of these extremes to teach his sons that ultimately relationships matter far more than money or things ever can. Instead of affirming his older son's rigid frugality or scolding his younger son's careless spending, 
the father shows his sons that money and possessions can be best understood in relationship with one another. It's only in relationships where people love us and we love others for exactly who they are. It's only in such relationships where an ethic of enough might be discerned and found and lived out. When we don't feel affirmed in our relationships, that's when we seek out meaning and identity through other things like our, like our possessions or wealth or anything else other than trusting that we are beloved children of God. In a little bit here, we'll gather again at our Lord's table, and it is here every time when we gather that we remember and we affirm time and time again who we are individually and who we are collectively as God's beloved children. As our Lord meets and feeds us here, we're reminded again and again of what enough looks like. Fed at his table, we are emboldened then to go out and ensure all those around us have enough. We are emboldened to use our resources, the very things God blesses us with in our lives, to ensure that not only us or our households, but that all of God's children have enough to live and flourish. It's here we're reminded that God is very much the father in the parable, always reframing things in terms of relationship always ensuring each of us has what we need to live, to thrive, and to be bonded together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Friends, may we prepare for this feast now and prepare to to go out and share our, our lives and our resources with one another. In Christ's name.